good news, mm-hmm. pretty much, big picture wise, in terms of how things turned out around the country. There was Andy Bashark, who was reelected in Kentucky, which is obviously a deep red state. And I got to tell you, I was particularly happy to see Daniel Cameron lose. That that was something that was an outcome that was very near and dear to my heart. Because um, <laughs> you love black Republicans. <laughs> well, I mean, he specifically is the black Republican who ensured that there would be no repercussions for the folks who killed Breonna Taylor, and that will be his legacy forever and ever. And he was also Mitch McConnell's golden boy. Yes, he was. And he had (laughs) the backing of Trump. So once again, sort of, that's always good news. And in Virginia, Youngkin town or, or Youngkin country, Democrats flipped control of the House. They maintained control of the Senate. Ohio, abortion was on the ballot and folks voted for it. They also made weed, recreational weed legal. And then there were a slew of losses for Moms for Liberty candidates that were running for seats on school boards. And then consistently... This issue of abortion has turned out to really be an albatross for Republicans. I think they thought that it was going to be a winning issue for them. And they are seeing increasingly in election after election that people want access to abortions and they want to be able to smoke weed. Yep, that's right. It's it's actually kind of reminiscent of the George McGovern supporters in 1972, acid, amnesty and abortion. (laughs) And it didn't work so well for the Democrats at that point. But hey, it looks like it's working pretty well now. various videos of Republicans talking about uh, abortion and acknowledging that it hasn't been a winning issue for them. They kind of misjudged, I think, just the public's idea of it and didn't realize that they were out of step with them on this issue. I mean, and Kaylee McEnany, we also saw her talking about the way that they should sort of reframe their opposition to abortion. Sean Hannity said, Democrats are trying to scare people into voting against Republicans by saying that we oppose abortion because you do. But they (laughs) but you you heard you didn't hear McEnany or Ramaswamy backing off of I mean, they soften their tone, but they are they want to shift the focus of their anti-reproductive justice stance, right? By talking about maybe we should ensure that women who become pregnant are given child support from the beginning, make sure that there's more accountability for men who are fathers. And it's it's the abortion issue, stupid. It's 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 not kind of deflecting to something else that makes it seem like you're not who you are. It's that people want access to abortions. It's very simple. And again, this is kind of the conservative delusion, I think, is just not realizing that, like, it is it is very cut and dry 
for, for lots of people. And changing the way that you talk about being anti-reproductive just, justice is not going to fool people. They just want to be able to fucking get abortions when they need them. But, well, the other thing, though, about what McEnany was saying was that, like, she was putting these policies forward about maternal care and after two years, so after birth, and, and as you said, child support, beginning with pregnancy. Like, no Democrat is going to oppose those things. <laughs> like, yeah. she's acting as if it was some secret hack that would get the public on their side. And it's like, you could literally do all of those things. And people would still hate your position. And like, and people would like it if you did those things and actually had some fucking compassion for impoverished people, people who need financial assistance. Like, that's actually how you could begin to be pro-life, to support people who want to have a child. Like, imagine that, right? Uh but even as <laughs> she's saying that, and I just wrote a piece that is related to this, so I've just been looking at the numbers, even as she's saying that, on, t on television, the cuts that Republicans are proposing at the federal level, they want to cut WIC, which is what gives moms and infants and kids up to five access to healthy food. They want to cut food stamps and put in all these work requirements. They want to cut Head Start, right? Funding for Head Start. They're looking at disastrous cuts to childcare. They, they literally want children not to be able, poor kids to be able to have they want to ban free, free school lunches. So she's saying that while she's on TV. But in the background, these are the cuts that they're proposing. Yeah. Oh, she can no, say whatever she wants, but she's in a party that is actively opposed to supporting anything but fetuses. And she knows that. Yeah. Yeah. She's well, just giving them again, the rhetoric to try and dupe people. Yeah. No, and that really is what it's about. Like the, the right is like the way they hacked the American political system was through media. And, and rhetoric and PR. Like these guys invented political consulting. They invented yeah. media training with the explicit purpose of shoving a minoritarian uh, takeover strategy on everybody else. And and I, I think people, at least younger people, have finally begun to see through the bullshit and they don't fall for it anymore. And and like that's that's really what the problem that the Republicans have. But I will say there are a couple of caveats from the election last night, though. In Virginia, so the, the, Virginia has a pretty left-leaning northern part around D.C., and but lots of the state has is extremely right-wing. And Virginia's a pretty big state if you ever have a chance to go through. Like if you're going through the long way of Virginia, it takes like... I've actually spent quite a bit of time there when I was working on taking down Confederate monuments. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And there certainly are, there were a lot of them and still are, unfortunately. Um, well, Charlottesville is, is where Unite the Right happened, so... Yeah. And so anyway, but so like somebody ran the numbers and last night what they found with the Republican state legislature candidates is that in legislative districts that Trump won, the Republicans won all of those districts and they managed to win all of the districts that Biden won in single digits. But the reason that they couldn't capture the, the legislative houses there was that they couldn't win in districts that Biden won by double digits. So the machinery that Glenn Youngkin built um, and possibly some of the message about abortion trying to, because like, again, this is another deception though, because like he was trying to say, well, we only want a 15 week uh -huh. uh, ban on abortion, 
but they also want to take out the mother health exception, which, which is typically used for la- the later term abortions, which are, are incredibly rare. And they're only chosen by like it, it, no, no, no woman is going to carry a child for eight or nine months and then be like, oh, you know what? I don't want to do it anymore. I want to have an abortion. Like that's not what people do. And so that option is available only in the case of severe fetal abnormality or something horribly catastrophic for the mother. And the Republicans do want to take that away. And so anyway, but that 15 week, I, I think you're going to see a lot more of that for the, Re- the Republicans. Like that's going It's actually what, Ch- what Hannity was suggesting would be a good way of talking about it. Yep. So that's, and so I, I think that while it's nice to make fun of Glenn Youngkin and his sweater vest, his some of the things that he came up with, they were good tactics. He's going to be like this undead vampire, I'm afraid. Um, he's not going away, um, I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Um, the Republican donor class loves this dude because he's one of them. Like He is a, an almost billionaire hedge fund guy, soulless vampire. And so... They're going to keep pushing this guy. And and like, again, like these people are incredibly professional at what they do. And he's hit on a couple of things. And and so we'll see that coming back. I have to imagine that that 15 week one and lying about the how many late, very late term abortions that there are. They're going to do that up until it becomes completely untenable for them. They're going to ride that up because like, the reactionary strategy is to never compromise. It's only to compromise what you say, just to circle back to what you were saying, because you're right about that. Obviously, I'm not happy that the right to abortion is all over the place, depending on the state that you're in. But it it has, I think, been in the weirdest way, kind of this bittersweet thing for Democrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet... This probably is what should have happened with abortion in the 70s, because there was all this progress that was made legislatively on civil rights for Black Americans. And it was it was a combination of Supreme Court rulings, but also there was it was legislative and mm-hmm. the, most famously the various civil rights acts that were passed. There were multiple civil rights bills and and those gains they were pushed through the electoral system. And so they actually were more durable versus, you know, when you shove things through the court, it's not durable. If, especially if the other side makes the courts, their obsession and their priority. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what happened is that after the success of Brown versus board of education and Roe versus Wade, the, I think the left in this country kind of, realize, oh, well, we can just win things in court because our arguments and the legal profession, they support our ideas. So we can, we'll just shift over there and don't bother with persuasion. And once the right figured out how to flip the courts to hack the judicial system, because like the left didn't set out to take over the courts. That's not how it worked. It worked because being right wing in this country and everywhere else is about anti-intellectualism. And so any system that is based on research or science and having having sound opinions, it's going to be against them just by default. Like that old that Stephen Colbert is saying, reality has a well-known liberal bias. Like, right. And so 
And so, yeah. But, so but also, I, I think that people didn't, I think people sort of forgot that the Supreme Court, I mean, it, 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 we've talked about this before. This is, in in some ways, the Supreme Court has just had a return to form, right? Like the, the Warren mm-hmm. Court was unique mm-hmm. in in the kind of decisions that it released. Yeah, it was. And then the right wing figured out how to specifically create these large entities like the Federalist Society and Mm-hmm. Alliance defending freedom to basically rig the system. But that's why Rick Santorum last night when he was on uh, Newsmax TV, and of course we're recording this on Wednesday, just in case anybody didn't realize that who's listening. But yeah, Rick, Rick Santorum was on Newsmax and he was basically complaining that when you put these issues like abortion and weed on the ballot and they're sexy and they get young people to vote for him. That's why we don't have a democracy. And you put very sexy things like abortion and marijuana on the ballot, and a lot of young people come out and vote. It, 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 was, a, it was a secret sauce for disaster in Ohio. I don't know what they were thinking, yeah. but um, that's why I'm, I, I thank goodness that most of the states in this country don't allow you to put everything on the ballot because right. pure democracies are not the way to run a country. <laughs> so- I mean, that I mean, he basically said what Republicans actually think. Yeah, it, he said the quiet they, part out aloud. Yeah, they so rarely actually voice how they feel about this stuff. And yeah. and he he actually sort of admitted it, a rare a moment of candor from a Republican. Yeah, but it is something that they've thought since the very beginning of their extremist movement. But I guess probably the most famous video clip of that early on was this guy from named Paul Weirich who had said it. Mm-hmm. He had a private meeting in 1980 trying to get the ministers to support Ronald Reagan. And he said just flat out. And- now, many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome. Good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. I mean, the idea is, unfortunately, the more people that vote, the more Republican ideas will be rejected. And, and they, they would prefer that fewer people be able to vote, and they've dedicated themselves to making sure that they restrict that. Yeah, absolutely. And... They've always known that if you mobilize and and manipulate, you can rig the system without even bothering to have a majority. And that's kind of the fundamental operating principle that they've had. And so now that's finally catching up to them after decades of out mobilizing the majority. So it's nice to see. It is nice to see. (laughs) And, And I will say also, though, on the abortion thing on Ohio, it's also important to note that these ballot initiatives to protect abortion rights, they were passed in part with somewhat significant Republican support mm-hmm. because, well, some some Republicans are women and they know that there might be a thing where they need it themselves or their friend needed it or their relative. And if you're a Republican woman, you'll get canceled for saying something like that. So they just don't say. It. <laughs> right. But, oh, but they vote accordingly. So. I'm glad for them, at least on that regard. Yeah, I mean, it made me, the way I keep thinking of this quote, did you read Bossy Pants by any chance? The, uh-uh. it's, it's, it's a book by Tina Fey. It's just like about her ascent as a comedy writer. It's, it's a oh. bit of a memoir. But there's a, a 
point in the book where she's talking about Photoshop and she says, I feel about Photoshop the way some people feel about abortion. It is appalling and a tragic reflection on the moral decay of our society, unless I need it, in which case everybody be cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And that is kind of the issue with conservatism generally, I would say that unless they have personally experienced something, then it's not relevant. And right. But people need but to you, you get you cut to something that I think is at the heart of just like the conservative philosophy to me, which is that it is itself rooted in a kind of clannishness and a parochialism and a tribalism that it lacks empathy and has an inability to care about other people unless it affects you or directly affects someone that you care about. And Mm -hmm. that is the way in which they also deal with policy. I mean, if they don't, and and you'll see Republicans soften on certain things if it it affects them. Cheney with LGBTQ rights, like the instant that it becomes personal for them, then they will change the way they talk about something because then it becomes something that they can relate to. But there seems to be just like a gene that conservatives lack in terms of just being empathetic towards other people and their issues. Mm. Yeah. Well, and you're right about that. that, that, I mean, it feels so fundamental to conservative thought to me. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll say having been a former conservative that as you certainly know, and probably most of our listeners by now know, I was born and raised as a fundamentalist Mormon, and then I left that and became identified as a secular conservative. And I realized in making those sort of transitions that it was like I had lived my life with those horse blinders on. And like when I was a a fundamentalist Mormon Republican, I had very narrow blinders on. And then I took those off, but I still had these other ones on the, the conservative blinders. And then when I took those off, it was like I was able to see the entire world. And so for some people, I think it is a, you know, like a cognitive inability to see the wider world. But for a lot of people, it's just simply they've never thought about it. And it's easier to just go about things the way that you're used to. Yeah. Uh, One of the reasons I think that we had gay marriage and the shift in that opinion was that as attitudes around LGBTQ folks changed, more and more conservatives were encountering people, realizing that people in their family were gay or were bi or what, whatever. And you didn't have white Republicans suddenly realizing that someone in their family was Black. And so you don't see that kind of shift because you can't personalize that story for them, which is, seems to be the only way to get conservative folks to shift in their thinking. But that... The fact that you do have to personalize those stories to me, it says something. I mean, it's it's a really sad sort of thing that is at the heart of conservatism to me. That is Mm. often how I see it is just people who are if they don't relate to your experience, it is not. And it's not for you. Yeah. Well, and and they also do that with their epistemology as well. Back when I didn't believe in human evolution. Like I would always hear people and it would, it bothered the hell out of me, but I would always hear my fellow right wing Christians say, well, evolution is not true because no humans were there to witness it. And it's like, that's also true about the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> uh, were you there when God wrote the books for Moses? No. 
So then how do you know that happened? We don't know. And how do you know that Adam was made in the Garden of Eden? Were even Garden of Eden. Were you there for that? No. But like they don't everything. But is- it's also a little bit like if a white person isn't there to experience racism, did it really happen? I mean, that's mm-hmm. I, I feel like that that's how you could sort of taking what you're saying, springboarding off that mm-hmm. and, and looking at kind of white conservative attitudes. That would yeah. be yeah, exactly. It's it is experiential epistemology, and, and and that's why it is important to tell stories and to not be afraid to let people know who you are and what what your background is. Like, it won't work with everybody. I'm not going to say that it will. Yeah, but at the very least, we can get a lot of people to realize, oh, Donald Trump is a nasty criminal dictator wannabe, and you don't have to vote for Biden. Just don't vote for Trump. I, I, I'm I'm fine if that's what you do, like helping the world just by doing that. If you don't like Biden, whatever. Lots of people on the left don't like Biden either. <laughs> Lots. Yeah. But I guess one of the other things, though, that happened on Tuesday was in Mississippi and where a relative of Elvis Presley, the Democrat. Second cousin. Um, yeah, second cousin. Managed to almost win the governorship against Tate Reeves, the Republican who was running for re-election. And I have to say, like, Mississippi... And who was absolutely awful. I mean, I would have been so delighted to see him lose. It was really... That was kind of the one sort of moment of heartbreak that I had last night was when they announced that he's going to remain in office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like the Tommy Tuberville of the governors, I would say. I mean, w- well, one of the things that I found so frustrating last night was that Hines County, which is where Jackson is located, which is one of the blackest cities in one of the blackest states, they kept running out of ballots. This happened over and over again. And I mean, I think under the 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 kindest assumption can be that they just underestimated turnout, but it feel, I mean, and Mississippi obviously is even in the pre-civil rights era and during the civil rights era was considered one of the worst places, the most egregious treatment of black folks, right? I mean, it's hard not to think that there was some sort of chicanery afoot that was With happening that. there. I wrote a piece just in March earlier this year because they were trying to, in Mississippi, basically pull a Jim Crow where they were going to create in Jackson, a an entirely separate court system that mm. was near the capital district. It was going to include all of the white neighborhoods, pretty much all of the white neighborhoods in Jackson. And it was going to have its own police force, but that would also have jurisdiction over the rest of Jackson. And the, the judges and the officials who were overseeing it were across the board white and they would not have been elected. I mean, this is the, this, that's pure, that's trying to pull a Jim Crow. And that's the mm-hmm. kind of shit that we still see. It has the wor- one of the worst felony disenfranchisement laws in the country, something like 10 to 18% of black folks can't vote there because of that. That's being challenged in court right now. But I think what it really speaks to, seeing the turnout there, seeing how close they came to removing Reeves. When people talk about the South and they, think that people in the South are idiots and they say, fuck the South. They don't realize that one, that the South continues to be where the, the black belt is. And in a place like Mississippi, which is true throughout the South, not that folks are overwhelmingly conservative, is that they've been gerrymandered to hell. And there's all kinds of, there is a white power structure that is highly embedded, retains its power, and will do anything to keep it. 
Yeah. Well, and also they they also are one of the few states that doesn't publish a list of polling places. Right. It is no, it's like they're deliberately trying to make it hard for you to know where to vote. Um, and not and and being so transparent about it. I mean, this kind of lack of they don't seem to have any fear of kind of showing what their true colors are. No punniness intended there. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, also the state that, again, had one of the most overtly racist in 1890 when they rewrote their constitution and explicitly codified the idea of having white supremacy now and forever. That That is the Mississippi that we know. Oh, well, yeah, no, it's it is true. And I mean, I will say, though, that so in spite, I mean, while the right wing does all these manipulative laws and policies and whatnot, some of what they do is also it, it has r- ripple effects as well and like they the goal is to make people feel like that not only to be disenfranchised by the law but to willingly choose it out to, to participate because they don't think yeah. it can happen for the better and like that I mean, is if you're if you're making people part. stand in long lines which inevitably when we see this around the country especially in the south it's always in black neighborhoods yeah. The idea is to, to to get people to leave, to get people to to tire you out. That is the work of you mm-hmm. paraphrase Tony Morrison to to tire you out. And in this case, it's to literally tire you out so that you don't register your vote. And also, just fuck John Roberts. This is the, the kind of stuff that that stuff that we see happening with these voter laws is because of 2013. Fuck Edward Bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and yet, like. I mean, last night's voting really shows, though, that the the reactionary activists, they are the minority in this country. and But they can only be consigned to their rightful place in the dustbin of history if people realize the power that they have and don't get discouraged. And your collective action will work as long as you do it. And it's not inevitable. Nothing's inevitable. But... You know, like the, I mean, that, that Rick Santorum video, like he's, they basically have realized that their time is up. And, and I like, you can go and read any right wing. I think that's a very generous reading. Oh, well, to be honest, you, no, just, I was going to say, read any right wing internet forum. Like it's filled today. And I was going through and enjoying some schadenfreude last night. So I can say <laughs> like it was filled with people saying, God has turned his back on this country. You know, I'm going to move. It's hopeless. People, Satan has won. And, and like I saw somebody else posting about the racial makeup of Virginia. And they were like, oh, look at all these multiracial people in this, in, in there and Hispanic people. Like this is doomed. It was rigged from the start against us. Like this, it was filled with these comments because they do, they have finally realized that people fucking hate them. And certainly the young ones have realized that for sure. But the older ones, like they are, it's finally getting through. Cause like the whole, I think they're slowly learning the lesson here and there with each election defeat. I don't think they have fully understood it yet. Well, the I think they have just gravely misjudged. Yeah, the, 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 sure, the pundit know. class. Yeah, the pundit class understands that, but I don't. I, I don't know that they fully get how out of step they are. 
Yeah, I don't, I, the, the average person, yeah, they're just starting to figure it out. But like before, they always had this idea. We're the silent majority. and But like the whole idea of being silent is that no one knows what, that you're there. <laughs> so you're are you really the majority? But nonetheless, like they don't use that phrase anymore. And like they're, and again, like having, and they see it in their own life. Like they, they, as you were saying, they know they have relatives that have come out of the closet as a sexual minority of one way or the other. They've seen it. They know of people in their town that are transgender or, or whatever. Like they see this stuff happening and they don't, a lot of them don't want to believe it's real. Like that's, that's what ultimately the Republican voter fraud conspiracies are about yeah. because it's like heads they win tails they democrats lose so i'm sure that a lot of people who happen to be especially if you're a very online person you've seen the excerpts that have come from britney spears new memoir a lot of which make justin timberlake look, look really awful and Timbaland, who is a producer, I mean, he was particularly popular for his work with Missy Elliott. And I mean, I feel mm. like his biggest hits were in the late 90s and early aughts. He worked yeah. with Missy a lot. But there was a video that I saw circulating where he was on stage at some event and the memoir came up and he um, said that he wanted to call up Justin Timberlake and say, you got to put a muzzle on that girl, mm-hmm. which, I mean, you can hear the audience in the clip kind of laugh at this joke, but I just found it so disgusting. I mean, one, it's sort of interesting that as someone who he's worked with Justin Timberlake before, he presumably maybe knew some of this stuff. He doesn't say that anything she said from the fact that she, Justin Timberlake pushed her to get an abortion. He's just a, apparently was a terrible partner for her. He didn't say, he didn't contest any of the things that she said in the book. Yeah. His point was just that, I guess that she shouldn't be saying them, which Mm. is so classic. And it's the way that I feel like men so often talk about women. I just Mm. found it infuriating. A lot of other people did too. Well, and also again, like she's, oh no, I was going to say, like she's a 43 year old woman that he hasn't been dating for decades. A very long time. (laughs) <laughs> so the idea that he has any ability to tell her to shut up, like it's ludicrous and it's very patronizing. And I do think in particular, the just her whole life, she has been managed and controlled. Right. Uh, I mean, I think he's playing off of whether consciously or unconsciously, this idea that Britney Spears is nuts, which is the way she was sort mm-hmm. of painted for us for a very long time, that she shouldn't be in control of her life, that she needed, needed a conservatorship. Yeah. The kind of stuff that we don't impose on men, regardless of how badly they act in public, if they are making millions of dollars. I mean, hell, and I feel like yeah. he just, Donald Trump needs a conservator. <laughs> anyone, right? Like, I mean, we've seen lots of men act terribly, absolutely batshit crazy in public, and we don't put those kinds of restrictions on them, but it, I think mm-hmm. it's fine when it's a woman. So just that was another way of saying sort of someone needs to control her. And mm-hmm. it was really disgusting. Enough people, I guess, were like me, appalled by the statements that I just saw that Timbaland issued a an apology, but mm. it's an apology because of the blowback. I don't think that he necessarily changed his I, thinking on that at all. Uh, yeah. It's, no, it, it just does, really kind of pissed me off. It was very just, I mean, he said, 
she's going crazy, right? And it's just like, bitches be crazy is just my one of my least favorite tropes. <laughs> well, and you know what? Like, there is something, and I, I, I've been meaning to write about it, but I haven't had the time, which is that Britney Spears, there are some components to her story, and I haven't read the book, so maybe she talked about it. But I, I haven't read full, full transparency. I haven't read it either. I've just seen a lot of excerpts. Yeah. Well, there. so Britney Spears, her story also is a story of Christian fundamentalism. And that, and she was like a slave, but all women I'm are slaves. Slave. <laughs> but no, like all women are slaves and in, in the fundamentalist theology and they are not full people. And, and that was how her entire life was, even before the conservatorship, that you as a woman, you belong to a man. You are his property. So first you're your father's property. And then once you get married, you're your husband's property. And that's how you must live your life. And it's just, it's been nice seeing her at least somewhat break out of that. I don't know if theologically she's seen how this happened to her, but I hope she does. I really, I, and maybe it's in the book. Like I said, I haven't read it. Maybe she talks about it. it would be nice if she did. I mean, it was a different era, right? I'm glad for her. I mean, I think that she has done, I don't even want to say done a good job of rehabbing her image because that makes it seem like this wasn't something that was sort of cast upon her. I, I think that it's just, it's, for so long, people exploited her, mostly her family uh, mm -hmm. and, and management and a whole bunch of people who were making money off her. Like, I'm just glad that that's out of her life now. Like, let mm -hmm. her dance on Instagram as much as she fucking wants. She deserves it. That's right. Actually, you know, so I saw someone make this point the other day. Like, if you compare the moves that she's doing on Instagram now and you look back at those old concert videos, like footage of her dancing then. She's doing mm -hmm. a lot of the same moves. Like everyone acts like it's so bananas, but it's like, she's a really skilled dancer. She's just doing it in her house now. Mm -hmm. Let yeah. Britney Spears dance. Let Britney Spears dance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She spent her whole life being other people's property. Exactly, and, yeah. And now she's her own person. And that's wonderful to see. And on that note, I think we can close. High point. Ending on a <laughs> ending on a high note. That's right. Well then, we will call it a day for this one. See you Talk later. You Bye. Bye. Open fade. Open up.